17 years ago, we rode into Northwest Atlanta, not having a clue what was about to happen, not having a clue what we were doing, but just trusting God and believing that if we just pursued him with everything that we had, that he would bless and he would do things that we could not ask or imagine. He would come up with things that we could not come up with on our own. And that certainly is what he has done. And we celebrate that. And on anniversaries, birthdays, holidays, New Year's, whatever, you, you celebrate what God has done and you also look expectantly to the future, to what he is still going to do. And here we stand on this day. We've had more than 1,800 worship gatherings. We've seen hundreds of people come to Christ and, and be baptized. We've sent dozens and dozens and dozens of folks, hundreds of folks, onto mission trips throughout the world. We have literally volunteered tens of thousands of man hours in Northwest Atlanta, volunteering doing projects all over the city and particularly on the Northwest side of town. We have planted or partnered with others to plant 140 different churches. We have built schools. We have planted churches not only in uh, the US, but we've also planted them around the world and planted churches, South America, Africa, Asia, and we've partnered with other philanthropists and other nonprofits, and we have helped provide clean water to more than 100,000 people in our history. And we have done all of this, yeah. But we have done all of this for one reason and for one reason only, and that is to proclaim the name of Jesus. We've done this for the purpose of spreading the good news that God has sent his only son into the world and we give him all the glory and power and praise for all that happens here anything good that comes out of this place if you haven't caught on by now after the worship I'm, I'm sure you you probably have we are all about Jesus and it is him that, who is high and lifted up today and every day because we believe he will draw people to himself and he will build his church it's his church certainly not my church it's not pastor Brian's church or the worship community's church it is the church of Jesus and he will build it and he continues to build it, and we're so grateful for that. So here we are at 17. I don't know if you remember 17. Uh, for some of you, it's been too long, and uh, you don't really remember it very much. But if I can remind you about 17, here we are. The, uh, the acne is clearing up a little bit, finally, uh, starting to have a little bit more confidence in that. Uh, we've been driving for a little bit now, and uh, haven't hurt anybody uh, majorly that we know of. But we, on our birthday, we still love birthdays around here, anniversaries, and so we wanted to give gifts to others. We didn't ask all of you to show up with gifts today. There's been gift giving going on in a lot of our ministry huddle environments, our volunteer environments. Uh, Pastor Brent Moxley has done what only he can do and given some gifts to our kids today. And let me just say, if you haven't picked your kids up yet, um, I'm sorry and you're welcome. So you'll find out uh, what that means when you get your kids. He's come up with something truly, truly unique today. But we wanted to be generous to others. And it honestly... It would have been great if we'd have been able to have people here that we were presenting gifts to today. Um, it would have made for uh, maybe a, a bigger moment in the service or things like that. But uh, we're giving some gifts today to some people who have had especially some physical and, and medical needs over the last year. And, and because of their health issues, uh, none of the three gifts that were given were we really able to count on folks being here. But that didn't change us giving the gifts. And also, we know of so many needs in our church and so many needs in our community. And we'd love to do things for everyone, uh, but it didn't stop us to do for these three what we wish we could do for everyone. And so, um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before where, like, you get to Christmas, especially the guys, we, we understand this. You get to Christmas, and somebody goes, hey, thank you for the gift. And you lean over to your wife and go, great. Hey, what did we get? What did we get them? And uh, so, 
this may be that kind of moment for you because we gave gifts this week on behalf of you, the church. And we want generosity to mark our church and we want to even shock people with our generosity and put God on display. And so that's what we've done for three families. One is uh, the Nyheisel family. I want to tell you about Paul and Martha Nyheisel. Paul is, uh, has been leading the ROTC at East Paulding High School for years. Very strong, kind of robust, go get them. Uh, just a hoorah guy, and uh, we, we are so grateful that he and his wife are in our church. Um, earlier this year, or even the end of last year, he began to, to feel ill, and, and it was found out that he has a disease called multiple myeloma. It's a type of cancer that attacks the plasma in the blood cells and in the bone marrow, and it's even affected his nervous system to where a lot of the time he can't get up and walk the way he would normally walk for a guy that used to just run and just be just great all the time. We did something for he and his wife. We also have done something um, for Chris Sparkman and Jamie Lynn. And many of you remember this story. Uh, Chris is the young man who stood up in April to a shooter who came into a Kennesaw FedEx. And if it hadn't been for Chris's actions that day, many, many more people uh, would, have, would have suffered loss of life and been injured. But he stood up, uh, was shot that day. He has had 22 surgeries now since April. His wife continues to be the one uh, to change the dressings around his wounds. And she has said, I, I don't want a nurse to come in. I want to take care of him myself. And so for every hour on the hour since April, she has been changing bandages. This is not exactly how they thought the first year of their marriage would go. But they continue to, to, to dive in and together and get him healthy and strong. And so we called up our friends at Macy's. And by friends, I mean people who will let you pay full price for things. And um, we, we found kind of the biggest oversized leather recliner that we could find. They're top of the line. And uh, we presented uh, the Nyheisels and the Sparkmans with a gift certificate to Macy's. And we said, here, why don't you go get this so that Paul can kick back and relax and not worry about the pain in his feet. And so that Chris can continue to, to heal and get, and get healthy from what he has been through. And uh, we also, for the wives, we gave them each a gift certificate to the Natural Body Day Spa at the Avenue at West Cobb so that they could go and, uh, and, and have a little time to themselves. And we actually had uh, an RN in the last service say, hey, if Jamie Lynn would let me, I'll take care of him just so she can go have a facial or whatever it is that she wants to get done. And so really, really sweet. We have some other friends that we were hoping would be in this service, uh, but they are not to, uh, today, and they couldn't be here because of, of really the reason why we're helping them. They have a, a little boy who is five, his name is uh, Carson, or he's in, I shouldn't say five, he's in kindergarten at uh, Burn Hickory Elementary. His parents are Jonathan and Cindy, and his sister is Cammie. And we have some friends at an organization called Blue Skies, and Blue Skies uh, is helping us give to this family. We're going to present to them sometime here this week, and all expenses paid, uh, all-inclusive beach getaway for a week that we have paid for next summer because of our uh, what-if experiment to be able to send away families who have children with pediatric cancer. We can't cure cancer, but we can help them forget about it for a few days. So we're going to present this trip to this family on behalf of you, our church. It's our birthday, so we're giving gifts away. And that's what we're doing this week. So a couple of months ago, I was going through news headlines and something caught my attention. There's a, a couple named Nick and Amy. They live in Mousehole. You know where Mousehole is? It's over by Yorkville and Rock Martin. I'm just kidding. Mousehole's in England. Uh, but it sounds like it's something that would be in, in West Paulding. And, uh, and so, uh, but they were 
in, they were engaged to be married, and they're going through different photos at Grandpa's house, at the groom's uh, grandfather's house, and they were going through photos, and, and you know how it is. The bride wants to see what he looked like when he was growing up and all that kind of thing. So they went through, and they found a picture of Nick uh, playing on the beach. He's playing on the beach. He's building a sandcastle, and they looked in the background, and there's Amy, his fiance, the girl he's going to marry. Eleven years before they even met, they discovered that they were on the beach together at the exact same time. And I don't know, when you come to anniversaries, weddings, celebrations of any kind, where you get to look back and also look forward, you, there are moments where you can be amazed at what you see. There are moments that are truly amazing to see that come together. Hey, here's what God was doing all along. For me, when I look back over the last many years of, of my life and the history of this church, it truly is amazing to see what God has been doing. I think about 26 years ago when I first walked into the middle school ministry at the church that, that I grew up in, and this one of the middle school pastors slash moppy-headed worship leader, a guy by the name of Steve Beal, who was our first worship pastor here, he was the, the middle school pastor there, and I had no idea that, that our lives would be so intertwined here years and years later and that we would be living in a community that at the time neither of us had ever heard of. It's amazing when I think about uh, pastor Brian, who I met 23 years ago when he was introduced in my youth group as the high school pastor in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I had no idea that our lives and our vision and our, our mission would be so intertwined all of these years later. And, and little did I know, as a sophomore in high school, and I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this, I'm sure you can't, but as a sophomore in high school, I was there with a buddy checking out all the freshman girls that were walking in at the beginning of the school year. Just kind of wanted to see what the new prospects looked like. And I'll never forget, my memory's so bad on so many things, but I remember the moment my, my wife walked into that cafeteria. And what I love saying about this moment is that it's not that the jeans were tight, it's just that the jeans were right. And so I was, I was hooked instantly, but I had no idea that five years later that we would be walking down an aisle and that we would be headed on our way here to be a part of Westridge Church. You know, at the end of the day, all of life's big moments and toll gates and certainly it's true in the history of, of the church that the journey of life that God allows us to go on at the end of the day it's all about people and over the course of the last 17 years there are more than a, a few moments and conversations that you wish had gone differently but the the shout until your voice hurts victories and the turning points in the life of a church they don't come at great moments where the attendance reaches a new threshold but rather they come in the great moments where life change has happened. And because of life change happening, God is on display. Just like we saw in the story a few moments ago of Leah Monique, who was so courageous as a high school girl to share her story of what she was dealing with and the struggles that she was dealing with. And we show that story today to say, today is a day to celebrate life change. Today is a day to celebrate all that God has done. And we put him on display. The key moments in the history of the life of this church are connected to life change. They're the moments when someone who was far from God decided they would turn their lives back over to him. They would turn their lives maybe to him for the first time and they would come into this place and they would discover that God loved them, that he sent his only son for them. The great moments come when, when a family that was broken and fallen apart or maybe on their way to, to a divorce or, or something was, had happened where they were absolutely, they were all gonna go in a different direction but yet God brings about life change, healing, 
just wholeness and restoration to that family. And there's story after story of people throughout the history of this church who've come struggling with addiction, come struggling with some type of hurt or, or habit or hang up, and they come into this place and they hear about the love of God and they hear about the grace of God and they hear about the kindness of God and they hear that God has not given up on them, that nothing that they could do could make him love them any less at all and they give their lives over to him. And we look back and we see in those moments of life change what God has been doing all along. The disciples experienced that as well. And when they were thinking back, writing down the gospels, when they were thinking back about their time, the, ministry, the time that they spent with Jesus doing his ministry here on the earth and the moments where it grew, they came back down to this thought, to this idea that really in those key moments, at the end of the day, it was really about people. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew tells a story of a man who, who comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, my, my daughter has died. Jesus, would you please come and, and, and just put your hand on her that she may live? And it's amazing, this person's faith, the faith that says to God, God, nothing is beyond you. Even death is not beyond you. All things are possible with you. And so Jesus begins to walk to the man's home. And as he's walking through the town there, a crowd of people are around him waiting to hear what he's going to say, waiting to see what he's going to do. And, and there's a woman in the crowd, and she has had a, a disease for over 12 years. The Bible tells us it's an issue of blood. And, and she would have been ostracized and cast out in her community because of what she was dealing with. And there in the crowd, she reaches out just to, just to touch one of the tassels that would have been on the shirt that he would have been wearing as a first century rabbi. She reaches out to touch that, and Jesus stops, and he says, who touched me? And crowds of people are around him. Certainly people are bumping into him and bumping into one another, and the disciples are like, Jesus, there's, there's a lot of people here. What do you mean, who touched you? And he says, no, 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 no. I felt power leave from me. Who touched me? And this woman who, as soon as she came forward, people would have wondered why she was in the crowd. They, they would have tried to throw her out again. And really, she didn't have to come forward because technically she didn't touch him. She had the faith to say, if I can just touch one of those tassels swinging on that shirt, if I can just touch that, then that alone will be all I need to, to be made whole. And, and she knew that when Jesus asked that question that, that he was talking about her, so she stepped forward and she said, it was me. And Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, he gives her this term of love and, and affection, love that she hasn't felt from anyone in the community in the years previous to this moment, the 12 years previous to this moment. He looks at her and he says, daughter, it's okay, your faith has made you well. And then he comes to the home of this young dead girl and he does what only he can do. He goes into the room where she's lying there and he, he takes her by the hand and raises her up out of bed and helps her walk around. I mean, an encounter with Jesus and things change supernaturally. As disciples are looking back over this, Matthew specifically, and just a, a snapshot of a few moments with Jesus, lives are being changed. And, and here's how he records it. Matthew 9, verse 26, he says, And the report of this, those things that we just talked about, and the report of this went through all that district. I mean, people love to talk. And I, I, I hope that we can talk more about those moments where we can say do you remember when that family made it do you remember when that person came to christ do you remember when that family was in the midst of such unimaginable loss and pain and do you remember that they never gave up on god that they they held on to hope i don't remember everything that happened but what i do know is that when jesus is around you find things that you cannot 
explain. And so word began to spread about the life change that was happening whenever Jesus was present. Matthew 9, verse 27 goes on to say, And Jesus passed on from there, and, and two men, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them. I love this. He says, See that no one knows about it. And then watch what they do. They went out and they spread his fame throughout all the district. I mean, I don't think he winked at them or anything. I think he was serious. He said, listen, seriously, see that no one knows about this. But listen, they had been blind. They had been living a life of darkness and they had been brought into the light. They had had an encounter with Jesus. And so the Bible says that they went to spread his fame. What is fame? It's that, it's that thing of making someone very well known. And they went out to spread the fame and the renown of Jesus. They didn't just tell a couple people. They didn't just let the rumor mill take over, but rather they said, we're going to take responsibility and go tell people about the life change that Jesus has brought. Mark's writing about a moment of, of life change where the message begins to spread in Mark chapter 1, and he's writing down a lot of things that the guy we've been studying about all summer, Peter, is telling him to write down. And so it says, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, being Jesus, entered into the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And so here Jesus is teaching, and he doesn't teach like everyone else. He, he teaches in a way that matters. He pulls illustrations out of everyday life. And it's as if people are saying, listen, I don't remember everything he said, but I can tell you one thing he said that it was like it was targeted right at me. And because of that thing he said, I'm going to be a different husband. I'm going to be a different spouse. I'm going to be a different parent. I'm going to be a different leader because I've had an encounter with Jesus. In the midst of that teaching, there's more life change. Someone comes into the place where Jesus is teaching with an unclean spirit. And because of that unclean spirit, that person is struggling with addiction, with anger, with sexual sin. And Jesus dealt with it head on. And he cast the demon out. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 28, it says, Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere and to all the surrounding district of Galilee. Life change happened. And they couldn't help but spread the news, spread the word of what happens when you have an encounter with Jesus. They went out and they told all of Galilee, I mean the whole place, it's almost a joke, all of Galilee. It's like saying all of Hiram. I mean, do you know how quickly I could spread a rumor in Hiram? Okay, I mean, just drop me off at Applebee's and give me 15 minutes. And by 4 o'clock, I'd have the whole community abuzz with something if it were juicy enough, right? It's like saying all of Mars Hill. I mean, honestly, just go in Publix and Kroger and talk to a few people and see what you can get to spread throughout that, that part of our community. All of Galilee, it's real. I mean, really, the whole thing? Is that, is that what you've got? I mean, don't hurt yourself. Is that how far you went to tell people about Jesus? Listen, it's an amazing thing. One of the things I love about the ministry of Christ is that more than 75% of his miracles and teachings happened in three towns, and the distance around them is about seven square miles. Here's the thing. When God is involved, the reach of even a relatively small amount of people and a seemingly insignificant, they always forget about us on the six o'clock news area, is absolutely limitless. What God can do with just a small amount and with his word being spoken, all the geographical limits, all the limits of who can and who can't come, all of those things are removed because with him all things are possible. 
I think about Anthony from Philadelphia, um, excuse me, from, from Pennsylvania, from Pittsburgh, actually, who we had the opportunity to baptize this last week. These are his words from his testimony. He said he was getting into the wrong crowd there where he was living in Pennsylvania, and he was doing drugs and just involved in all kinds of things. And he comes to visit his dad, who lives in Dallas, Georgia, and his dad says one day, let's go to church. Now, I don't know how that worked for a dad with a teenager who's really got some things. I don't know if there was duct tape involved or what happened, but dad got him to church. And I love what he says. He says, for the first time, I felt the love of Christ. And he writes these words, my dad brought me to Jesus. What a great word. Now Anthony is a leader in a youth group in Pennsylvania, and we've had just a the opportunity to play just a small part in his story as a church. We never know who's going to walk through these doors. We never know what their needs are. We never know how God might truly use them. Now he's a leader in that place where he lives in Pennsylvania. Today we have church planners all over the United States. Some of on our staff and, and took off. And, and we also have, have missionaries all over the place. And we've got missionaries in more countries than I'm going to mention, but just the just the ones that we have who have sat in these seats, who have sat in the places where you're sitting today. We have people from, who are serving today in Turkey, Afghanistan, Burkina Faso, Malawi, Spain, Kenya, and China. The reach of life change, the reach of the gospel is absolutely limitless when Jesus is involved. And more than that, life change can happen for any heart, no matter how dark, no matter how desperate, no matter how unworthy you feel like you are. John chapter 8 says, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus, I love what he does. He bends down and he writes in the dirt. So in this moment, they have this woman standing there, and Jesus began to write. And, and some people in, in tradition believe they, they think they know what he was writing. I've got to be honest, we don't really know what he was doing. I mean, it's Jesus. He's down here. He, he, he could have been drawing some type of masterpiece, a picture, or he could have been writing a verse from the Old Testament. He could have been doing anything he wanted to do. But there's a, a little bit of tradition here that says that perhaps he was writing the names of the accusers who had brought the woman that day. It comes from a summary statement about Jeremiah 16, 17, and 18. It says, those who oppress the poor and the weak, I will write their names in the dust. May we never be the type of people that prevents anyone from coming to Christ, that, that condemns anyone, that judges anyone, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and every single one of us are in need of a Savior. And so there's a, this idea that the guys with the rocks in their hands, that Jesus was just writing their names down in the dust. But if you notice in John chapter 8, he stands up, I assume, to stretch his back out a little bit. And verse 8 says he does something else, that once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. There's this other idea from the Old Testament, time and time and time again, multiple verses like this. I want to give you just one. It says this, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Something that God does that only he can do. Something that's the mark of Jesus, and I hope is the mark of this church, is that the people who think they deserve the love of God the least are the ones that God 
seems to want to extend it to the most and not only extend it but to take those people and help them realize their need for a savior and their and their idea and this idea that god has accepted and loved them no matter what and then place them into places of honor so imagine this woman who's now standing there just about alone except for who whatever other little bit of crowd is around these men have all dropped their rocks something that jesus did in the dust that day perhaps writing their names caused them to drop the rocks and then he stands up and he begins to write again don't you think she had to be curious don't you think she had to have wondered what is he writing i need to remember this what is he doing and perhaps she walked over we don't know her name but perhaps she walked over and she looked over the shoulder of jesus to find her own name scratched by the hand of god and the dirt right there Surely he doesn't know everything I've done. Surely he doesn't know every mistake. I mean, if he knew everything I had done, then, then he probably would have picked up a rock and he would have started, he would have been the first one to throw it alongside all of these other guys. But that is not at all the case. It's because that Jesus knew everything that she had done that he loves her. And because that he had created her that he loves her. And in this place now, there is total forgiveness the dust will be wiped clean very soon and all of that will be removed and he says to her very simply he doesn't judge her he doesn't condemn her he doesn't say what you've been doing is okay he just says where are your accusers in other words i'm not one of them go sin no more you see sometimes jesus gives us fresh beginning doesn't he sometimes when we feel like we deserve it the least he gives us a new day. And there are times for all of us in our lives, and I love this, the opportunity that an anniversary or some type of celebration gives us for this. There are times in our lives where we, we understand that sometimes to begin means to begin again. Sometimes to begin means to begin again. I think about a young lady that we baptized here last week during the third service. Her name was Janice. In her testimony, she talks about a life, at least a, por a portion of her life, struggling with addiction, but ultimately overcoming it because she put her faith and her trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I was reading her testimony up here in the hallway, before the place where we have people before we bring them out to baptize them. I was reading it, and something in her testimony just stopped me. It, it, it took my breath away. She said that her fiancé had died in July. And I asked her, I said, you know, how did this happen? And she said it was because he had, OD'd on, on drugs. So here's a, a young lady that God has rescued from this life, rescued from the need for all these substances. She's put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and she's still experiencing tragedy. She's still experiencing loss, but yet she says in her testimony, she says, I have had a rough patch since trusting Jesus as my Savior, but I've decided to refocus my life on becoming more like Jesus. See, sometimes to begin is to begin again. Certainly for some of you here today, there's people that you are at one point, you were following Jesus with everything that you've got. But maybe it was three steps forward and two steps back or some type of version of that. And, and today I want you to know on this anniversary of, of what God has been doing, the life change he brings about in our church, I want you to know that today can be a new beginning. Sometimes to begin is to begin again. And, and we're here on the mission of Jesus 
at Westridge. And it's important that everyone in this community know. It's important that we spread the word throughout the entire district. That there's no one apart from the love of God. There's no one that, that he has given up on. There's no one in this place that he does not know your name. We're on his mission. We're a family on a mission here at Westridge. And that mission is to seek and save the lost. That mission is the Jesus mission to proclaim freedom and grace to those who are trapped in religiosity. That, that mission is with Jesus to set prisoners free, to, to proclaim the good news. So everywhere we go as a, as a church body, as we're out in the community, wherever we work and play, we should be about proclaiming and living the mission of Jesus. Because we believe that everyone deserves the chance to be brought to Jesus. We believe that he has left us as his presence in this little part of the world. And from this place, my hope my desire and my purpose is that the news about the kindness of God would spread to this whole area and saturate this whole region, that Jesus would be famous here. So we say to a whole community of people, come and see. Come and see this Jesus. Come and see what he's doing in this place. It's the words that the woman who was at the well talking to Jesus said. When Jesus met her there, at a time of day when she was trying to come and just get water on her own because she was living a life that had caused, once again, a community to ostracize her. She had had multiple men in her life, and she was at the time living with a man who was not her husband. And, And Jesus knew all of this about her, and he actually told her that he knew all of this about her. And this woman, this unlikely hero, goes back into town, and she says this in John chapter 4. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did like all the bad stuff. Can this be the Christ? It's not that he was okay with it, but he was honest with me. He didn't dance around my issues, even the really junky stuff, but he loves me anyway. You've got to come and see this man, and that has to be our message as a church. You've got to come and see this Jesus. You've got to come and see his love. You've got to come experience the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. It's in John chapter 1 that Jesus is walking, and I love this. John 1 verse 38 says, Jesus looked over his shoulder and says to them, what are you after? He's looking at these guys that are behind him in the distance who don't quite have the confidence that they need to come all the way up to Jesus at this point. And and you may be here today and you don't feel like me. You've got all the confidence that you need to, to come all the way to Jesus. And can I say to you, what Jesus says to these guys is, come all the way in, come close, get as close as you need to be. And he looks at, and these guys answer him and they say, well, where are you staying? somewhere we can come and and hear more and Jesus replied and says why don't you come along and see for yourself one of these two would be known as his first disciple young man named Andrew and Andrew the Bible basically says that Andrew had lunch with Jesus and then he went and got his brother Peter and said Peter you got to see this guy I found the Messiah I found the one we've been looking for the one we've been longing for I found the one that all of our hopes and dreams are centered on this guy come and see Another disciple named Philip says, we found the one that Moses has been talking about, the one that all of these scriptures are about. We have found him. And his friend Nathaniel said, seriously, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Seriously. Can anything good come out of Dallas, Georgia? Are you kidding me? Can anything good come out of this part of Northwest Atlanta? Seriously. And the message and the response, Philip says, come and see. The psalmist says in Psalm 66, he says, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power. Your enemies come cringing to you. 
all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And then I love verse 5. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. And in the message translation, it says, take a look at God's wonders. They'll take your breath away. It's the message from the empty tomb. When these two women come looking to take care of the body of Jesus and they're in a panic because the stone is removed and, and the whole circumstance has changed and they look in and an angel says to them, he's not here, he has risen. Come see the place where he lay. Today, church, our message and our mission is clear and that is to go out and, and to seek and to save those that this Jesus laid down his life for and to say to every single one of them, come and see. This God is for you. This grace is for you. This love is for you. Come and see. Would you bow your heads with me?